Initiative Podcast, Volume 7, Issue 196. We're getting closer to 200, folks. The 200 show is not that far away. I'm Vince, and I'm sitting with Matt. Hello, everyone. And Crispy. How's it going? Mr. Saver Die himself. Yeah, man. You should listen to our show. It's really good. Well, you only had one episode out as of, as of right now, so. You should listen to our, our one show. It's very good. It's better than this one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Please don't fire me. <laughs> Why would I? I'm not going to fire you. God, well, I think something like Vince McMahon or something. Please don't eject me from the show. <laughs> well, he does have that the gimmick seat. Yeah, it's I true. do. I have the rotating. You do. Special guest star. Yeah, you've been our special guest host for the past five years, probably. Anytime I talk about the show, I was like, yeah, I just have like a permanent guest host position. Yeah, he's not an actual host. He's just a permanent guest host. That way, he right. wants to drop out. And, and more importantly, that way, by not making him a permanent host, he won't automatically get ejected out of that chair because that's what's happened to everyone else that sat in that chair. And the think about it, Crispy is the only co-host that we had that has left, come back, left, and came back again. <laughs> that's very true. Yes. So yeah, you got you're like that. Yeah, that that drummer that just keeps coming back, man. Tries his I'm own the thing. Peter, I'm the Peter Chris of this uh, podcast. Yes. That's his name, right? From Kiss? I yes. Yeah. Okay. You just try your own thing for a while and be like, eh, it didn't work out. Let me come back to a show I love. Yeah. We're always here for you, man. We're a family. As Bon Jovi says, who says you can't go home? Uh, I should have for that joke done a completely unrelated Bon Jovi lyric. Like, like Bon Jovi says... Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. So this is going to be Crispy's last show for a while. <laughs> it's been a, it's been, it's been a quite a run. <laughs> Why don't we do the joke like you did on your show? It's been a great, it's been a great run. Why don't we say goodbye to everybody? This is our last show for your first show. <laughs> and then people thought that they were done. I was like, really? You didn't think he was joking? We did that so over the top. Like I tried as as much as I could to like. Just overindulge in it just to make it clear, like, hey, this is a bit. We're doing a bit right now. But a well, lot of people were just like, wow, you guys were great. I'm sorry to hear this was your last show. Yeah. <laughs> it was well, only their first. This way. The Save or Die listeners, they've been through a lot. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's true. true. They're traumatized. They, they, so. they've, they've had to make that saving throw a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're a little gun shy. They're a little nervous. <laughs> But let's uh, let's not talk about that show. Let's talk about this show. Uh, do we have any news as far as Watsy releases, Matt, at this point? Yes, actually, because uh, as with all of their new releases, they're 
pulling stuff from the days of yore and uh, bringing it to the new uh, gamers out there. So we got Tomb of Annihilation just hit the uh, friendly local game stores as of this week. Yeah. Uh, which is basically uh, Tomb of Horrors mixed with uh, Dwellers of the Forbidden City. So you get some... Uh, the cult aspect mixed with uh, Acerac. So they're they're trying to uh, acknowledge their history more. So it's mm-hmm. – uh, I, th- I think that's a good – and I think that's helping bring back some of the old players that got alienated during the days of Fourth when it's like, oh, they're actually acknowledging their history as opposed to just obliterating the universe and starting something new with a spell plague. God, yeah, spell plague. Yeah. Whereas I, this – I actually like – yeah. With the Drist books, with the Spellplague stuff, like the first one to come out, I read like the forward and I I didn't read a Drist book for like 10 more years because I was so mad that they're like, Spellplague, we're going to kill off all the stuff you like. Yep. And then fast forward 100 years because we yeah. don't really want to explain that middle period all that much because it's magic. Yeah. Like Drist was like, oh, my friends are dead. I'm so sad, and now I'm gonna pal around with evil people. The darkness. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. So. Cool. But yep. So they got that, and it's a little funny because uh, Magic: The Gathering has a new set come out that's very similar oh, to I'm so uh, excited. Chult. I'm yes. So excited for Ixalan. Yes, pirates and dinosaurs, which is pretty <laughs> much. What? what you're getting in Tomb of Annihilation as well, because it's in that lost world ch- of Cholt, which has dinosaurs and pirates. And they, someone actually asked Mike Merles if that was uh, intentional. They're like, no, that was actually just a really weird coincidence that they both have pirates and dinosaurs coming out simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, kind of suspicious. I don't think it is, because like, I'm looking back at previous Magic releases, and I think like... They did return to Innistrad, which is it's Ravenloft, the card game. Around the same time, Curse of Strahd came out. True. I don't think it's coincidental. I think like some kind of brand manager collusion is going on. Right, and they're just not smartening up design and development. That yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this it it looks interesting because you will <laughs> uh, this new one you're getting you're getting dinosaur racing. And like flying monkeys as familiars and some some very much wacky pulp stuff. So yeah, that's right up my alley because like Isle of Dread is my favorite module ever. You just like so flying I'm, monkeys. That's all. <laughs> I do. I'm a big Wizard of Oz fan. I knew it. Big Frank L. Baum fan. So <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs> I I think I'm gonna pick that one up. Um, yeah, because it's also it's Tomb of Horrors. You know, like. They did Tomb of Horrors for 3rd edition, not 3rd edition, 4th edition, and uh, it was bad. <laughs> and yeah. It was not yeah, good. that's right. There but... was one for 3rd edition. Yeah, I forgot all about right. that. Yeah, yeah. With the, yeah, with this, it's actually going to be like Curse of Strahd, a whole like, 20-level campaign yeah. setting. So, yeah, that'll it, be really cool, actually. Yeah. It, yeah, they. I saw, got to see some of the art and everything back at Origins for it, and it, it looked good. And they're dipping into the Fiend Folio for some bringing back some of those monsters from the uh, the oh, the one bird people, the Acerac. Yeah, 
Yep, the Acer actor coming back and the one uh, Unicorn Bunnies, they're back. Oh, man, what are those things called? I know what you're talking the about. The It's. But, yeah, then the, you can actually have those as familiars as well. Huh. So. I it, think um, I had a friend, like, tweeted an, an hour ago, actually, uh, saying D&D is going to release some stats for turtle people as a playable race. Yeah, people were going, oh, my God, I can play turtles finally from the Teenage Mutant. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Oh. That is essentially what they were said. He's like, I'm I'm excited to be a turtle wizard. Yes. Turtle monk, a team of four. <laughs> I would play that game as like a one shot. Yes. Flyer. Or or yeah, and actually now that you have, have the flying monkeys, you can also do your Frank L. Palm inspired <laughs> one shot. Yep. Crispy staying up late at night playing that. Right. It's true. Yes. Maybe it'll be your next actual play. <gasps> With Trask. <laughs> I knew that's Trask. where that was going. Trask is Dorothy. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That'd be great. I That would be great. I, uh, oh. I, I liked you most of all. Oh, my God. There he was. There was Trask. We haven't heard him in such a long time. We found him. Finally. That's right. Actual play podcast coming soon. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. It's not happening. <laughs> no, you can't. You just got to leave that out there. Don't don't reveal it's a bit. Oh, okay. And then people are like, hey, like like four months later, you're going to get like 15 emails. What's going on with that actual play? Uh, is that like, are you guys done? Did you record it all at once and just release? Are you going to release it in chunks? Why does this Why does it sound like a snobby person? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Why do you like you always go to the snobby rich voice? I mean, <laughs> he defaults to Thurston Howell. Yeah, it's like you always, yeah. be, oh, yes, I say Gilligan, <laughs> Gilligan, little buddy. Uh, yeah. All right, well, let's uh get into some uh nitty gritty and enough of this uh BS talk now. Head into some DM rules. I don't know who you are, I don't know what you want, but we are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. So on DM Rules today, we're going to talk about starting a new campaign. Some advice for you guys. Kind of talking about, you know, how much you plan, what sort of things you like to do, how you kind of start a new campaign. Um... With me, I actually just did this recently. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, we haven't got to play yet. I need to oh. rectify that. But um, I just started a mega dungeon, actually. That was sort of the thing that I was doing. And Is, uh, is it your own homebrew or is it a module? No, it's it's a, it's a homebrew. Oh, so, okay, cool. <laughs> it's really, it's like a dumb comedy, like, you know, like, not take it too seriously kind of game. Which is kind of different because normally I... I if I start a campaign, I go pretty serious with it. But uh, basically, the premise is: is your the mega dungeon is the basement of a bar, <laughs> but the bar has been there since time immemorial. It's been there for thousands of years, and over time, in the basement space, people just rent out rooms. Like you know, there's like a three month period where a wizard rents out the room, and then he digs a tunnel that leads to like his wizard's lab. Or a cult goes and they start a shrine. And, you know, it's got like a like a three-level basement. And so your adventure's staying there and you just go on, like, 
kind of like I guess missions uh, issued by the uh, by the the innkeeper, who is like you know he's just kind of clueless as to what's going on. Um, but he wait, he gives you missions, but he's clueless to what's going on. So he's like, oh, I I need you to go like grab this thing from the dungeon or not the dungeon from the basement. It was on like it's on like basement floor two. It's by like the wine barrels and then you get down there and you're looking for the thing and it's not there but there's a hole in the wall that then leads to like a five room dungeon complex that belonged to like a pack of kobolds oh, they've was, been like stealing food I was you down know, there then, doing inventory and I lost my glasses could you go get them for me <laughs> yeah stuff like that or like um you know like you go down like I think the first session I'm gonna do is you know they're gonna go kill rats in a basement you know a very very classic first mission kind of D&D adventure. But it's not going to be that. You know, there's going to be twists and turns that kind of show that this place is, it's impossibly large. It's basically as large as I would need it to be because it's been there forever. Uh, it's got a very traditional, like, pub name as well. Right. It's uh, Fat Chester's Pub and Grub Bar and Grill. <laughs> That's a long sign. Yeah. That's also, sad. no one named Fat Chester has ever owned that bar. Ah, uh, fictitious so, oh, name. Yeah. Okay. Normally, I, I, and I'm not doing a lot of prep for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, I do. I, I do a ton of prep, and it never goes anywhere, and I don't get to use it. So this is kind of a, a nice experiment to pull back and just have some fun. So that, that's what I got going on. So what uh, what tips do you have for new DMs and old? I think it's very easy. There, there's a trap, I think, that happens with prepping for a game where you prep too much. You're, you're prepping stuff that you're never going to use, you know? Well, you still can use it somehow. Yeah. But, I don't know, like, coming up with the the line of succession for the Emperor, you don't need to do that. Nobody, <sighs> nobody cares. I care. He's right. he's the guy in charge, and he has an army, and all his guards are stronger than you. So don't try to kill him, or try to kill him. You know, it's a free it's a free country. Hmm. Um, you know, don't have every settlement on the map. Have just the main ones, and then leave yourself some room to be like, oh yeah, this is the town of the Hobbit's place, and it's between Shire town and uh, Baggins Boulevard. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really, for my setting when I'm doing a whole continent, I'll usually do like the main capital and a few Mm -hmm. little like small cities and then have the players heading towards uh, the player characters, excuse me, heading towards whatever city and then if they ask for more, I'll just make it up as I go and then write it down so I know it's where it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think that's a good way to flesh out the world. It's the same thing with like building player characters. Like you know, somebody who comes up with a four-page backstory and goes, "Here's my character." I'm not going to use that. Like, make your character as you're making them. They're they're level one. They they didn't they weren't the general in a war. They didn't kill the evil tyrant. You're you're Bob the farmer. And now you're, you know, you're in a career transition <laughs> into being Bob the Fighter. 
And uh, what about your session zero? Do you have anything for session zero, or you just jump right into the game? Or yeah, uh, with me, what I like to do, uh, my session zero is normally a character creation session, and then like a mini adventure, and then a thing I like to do is on that session zero. I like to let people make changes to their character. So they go, oh, like, I'm going to play, you know, a fighter, and I have, like, I'm going to be dex-based. And, you know, session zero, they're like, eh, I I liked hitting stuff with my my great axe better, so I'm going to, like, make myself strength-based. Okay, so... Kind of give you a freebie session to kind of, like, test out your character. Exploration. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good yeah. idea. I'd give people a chance to play and feel out their characters. Oh, I don't really like it. If I made this small adjustment, and yeah, allow them to yeah. make that small adjustment going forward. No more adjustments. That's what you're stuck with. Yep, exactly. Right. Very good. I like that, Crispy. Good job. Yeah, thanks, man. You get a cracker. Yes. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Yeah, well, with me, I'm a big proponent of the Session Zero, too, because... and. When it comes to having a campaign, I might have like a general idea of what the campaign is, like maybe two sentences. This is kind of what the big story is. And then I'll have session zero and let the players flesh out their own backstories. And then I can start riffing off their backstories they develop for the first session and then just build from there. So I will gladly steal ideas from my players at on the fly even like during the game itself is the players start talking about oh they think something is going on and when i never even thought of making that happen but it sounds cool okay that's now happening um so mine is very low prep Hmm. and very much going with the flow and on the fly i've rarely have more than one session planned i'll have an idea of what we're doing tonight and maybe where we are going to the, the following session, but that's it. Uh, when I was even doing my Ravenloft campaign, I had probably three or four alternate endings and I had no idea which way I wanted to go. Cause I had one that would have a happy ending. One that even if they killed Strahd was still going to be a bad ending. Um, and at the end, I'm just like, okay, let's go with the happy. So you kind of did like a whole Walking Dead thing so nobody would know. Just have all these alternate endings and right, roll with exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, because it's more – and at no point in time did I really even tip off. Like they were just trying to get home and get out of Ravenloft. That was their goal. Well, I'm like, well, considering all the things you've done, I could have it be where you never – you get to go home, but your home's now in Ravenloft. You're welcome. Where <laughs> your own domain got sucked in because of what happened, what you did to go in, get sucked into Ravenloft. Because basically, they had ended up pulling like a magic item that, yeah, just caused a whole bunch of chaos, we'll say. But I ended up saying, by, by them destroying Ravenloft, they got the happy ending variant. But I think the biggest trap you can fall in is you start, when you start creating a world. Are you creating it for your players or are you creating it for yourself? When you get into that deep backstory and the history, that's more often for you, not necessarily your game. And and if that's something you enjoy, more power to you in fleshing out this world. I mean, that's how we got Forgotten Realms. So (laughs) Ed Greenwood decided he just kept wanting to write notes. (laughs) 
and then next thing you know, we have this massive giant world. And if that's something you enjoy, great, but don't do all this prep and think you're going to need it all for your game because you're not. Yeah. Because if you really narrow it down to what your players might do, you can, with fair accuracy, know where they're wandering next. What areas they can even uh, theoretically get to. And you only need to expand your world out to that. Mm -hmm. You don't need to have the dark side of the moon statted out. And as you run your game, your world will be grow into an actual real complete world as opposed to making the create a complete world and then letting your players run around into it. I think that more organic growth creates something a little more unique and that way it also the players affect it even if they don't necessarily know they have. Yeah, um, you're playing with a bunch of creative people like three heads or four heads or five heads, you know, how many people are playing, coming up with things for the world is going to be better. You know, that collaborative process is going to be a lot better than what you could come up with just on your own. Didn't right. they do that with the Forgotten Realms, like with the novels? They just gave people like, like they gave R.A. Salvatore like one corner and they gave someone else another corner. And then yeah. eventually like those writers fleshed those things out. Right. They each had their own area that... Uh, they were writing it on writing and so that way and they had like a project manager over them just to make sure nothing really crazy happened but that yeah. was kind of their own playground and they can do what they want and not have to worry about affecting other people's stories yeah i want to kind of jump onto the session zero thing here because uh, it's something I, I had thought about as you were talking about that making characters right do you do that as they make them at home and bring them to the table and then you reconcile that mess by itself or do you make them in a group for me it depends on how if i know the players or not if i know my group then generally i'll allow them to roll on their own if i'm allowing rolls or if i'm allowing i sometimes i add a point by from uh the later editions that they started doing. And mm -hmm. actually, I stole one from second edition. They had one as well. If you look that up, I allow that as well and let them choose. But if it's like brand new people, like at the game shop or something, session zero is always going to be sitting at the table, rolling up characters, you know, 4d6, drop the lowest. And, I, you know, all characters have to be approved. That's generally how I handle that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Me, I always have, we always just get together and roll them at the table. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the same kind of boat. Which one? Yeah, with uh, Matt. Matt and I are in the oh, same okay. boat. You're, you're <laughs> yeah. on a life raft. You're you're Jack off the Titanic. Where's Rose? Drowning in the. Uh... But where's my Rose? <laughs> She's hogging the life raft. Oh, right. Wow. She let you go into the water to die. She didn't want to scoot over. You know exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I um, one of the reasons I like having everyone make characters together is. I basically force people to have some sort of tie to at least one other person. Like, you know, like, and it could be like, oh, we're childhood friends or like we, I saved his life when we were in the war together or like we're brothers. One of the best D&D games I played was uh, there were two buddies. It was a second edition game. They came mm. and at the table, they were, uh, they were dwarf brothers. 
and like they played off each other. I, they've probably done that same kind of archetype before, but it was a uh, it was really entertaining to watch. I seem to remember someone else doing that in one of my games too. <laughs> yeah, and it was great. Yeah, you and uh, Chuck. Chuck was it Chuck or yeah. Leaf? No, it was it was Leaf. That's right. Yeah, Leaf. it was Leaf. Yeah. yeah. Trask's brother. I can't remember his name though, but yeah, that was fun. Rogar, I think. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I just know he sounded just like you, and the two of you were just like relief. Yeah, comedy. That was Leaf's actual voice. Like, yeah, Leaf yeah. just sounded like that. Yeah. I was doing an affectation, but it was fun. Yeah. Uh, another thing I like to do is uh, when people are making the characters. Like that's why I like to sit down and not have them just come to the table with the characters. I don't trust other people to be alone in the creative process. And I like to add details that do tie people to the world. Like um, my, my Ch- fat Chester's pub and grub bar and grill express is. Uh, it's a fifth edition game. And <sighs> one of the players is a Kanku bard named B sharp. Um, her ex-boyfriend in the world is a, a Kenku, uh, sorry, she's a Kenku paladin of the god of music. Her ex-boyfriend is, uh, is a Kenku bard, um, who, his name is C-flat. <laughs> now, if you play music, that joke is hilarious, because those are the same notes, um, but they hate each other, because he basically is Kenku Justin Bieber. <laughs> oh, god. <laughs> and he's like, so she's like, given... She is a paladin of the god of music. She's, you know, divinely inspired music that she plays. You know, this is straight from God's mouth, the music of angels. Uh, but nobody respects her craft. And Kanku Justin Bieber is like a huge pop star. <laughs> but don't Kanku's only speak by mimicking, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> what it is is she... Uh, there she's a jazz musician so basically her her art is she like has memorized all the notes and puts them together in like jazz improvisation oh where he has just like memorized a bunch of stuff that sounds nice and like is easily accessible (laughs) now do they actually sing when they talk for you know fun or no no i mean like they they're kanku so they open their mouth and like Right. A piano riff comes out. Do you have your players make noises and stuff? No, oh. no. I would not expect someone to like be able to do like a jazz improv riff with their voice. Why not? Because it's. I mean, he's not a piano. Okay, like, true. Yeah, and that's like a you know. We also have a character who um, was like. They're on a holy mission from their god, and originally um, that person was like, maybe they're like a noble and they resent their family and they're running away from that, like, destiny to a greater destiny. I was like, oh, what if, like, what if everyone saw the thing that put her on this divine quest and, like, everyone's super supportive? That's something that you don't really see a lot. Like, you'll see, like, oh, I'm a prince, but, like, I was called to a greater calling and my family resents me for it. And I was like, no, what if they're, like super supportive so you can kind of come up with these concepts and and refine them more with having everyone develop characters if not together as a group at least with you as the dm i think like it's important for the dm to be able to tie it to the world to have some kind of hand 
in that collaborative process of creating a character. Right. It's the the current game I'm playing and uh, the guy running it. His whole concept was uh, every player has either has been accused of a it's in Waterdeep has been accused of a crime, got uh, jailed, Ooh. but is now getting like a early release in exchange for doing service for one of the masked lords. Hmm. And so what he did is he had each of us write up our backstory and send it to him, but none of the other players know it. Oh. So we so we each have this all little, did they do it? Didn't they do it? And also what our crime is. So at that point, we as players, we each have that mystery of, okay, is this an innocent person or is this just some psychotic maniac that I'm stuck with? So we kind of almost have a suicide squad thing going yeah, on. Yeah, that's when you hit first said that I my brain jumped to that, but I was like, no, like – Suicide's not the first. Suicide Squad's not the first thing to do that, but it's very uh reminds me more of the Shawshank Redemption. That's that line where like everybody's innocent on the inside. Like right. that's that's really interesting. That's a cool idea, right? And at the time, uh, my wife's a big Phantom of the Opera fan, so mm -hmm. I uh, ended up playing a bard named Gaston Leroux. <laughs> so you can kind of figure out what my guy did. Gaston. And uh, so, yeah, at which point it also, uh, since I have all the performing things, I we uh, the last session we were actually at a, we were doing an investigating a murder for one of the Mass Lord's concubines. So as I proceeded to put on a performance of organ music <laughs> to distract everyone while the rest of the party ransacked their rooms. So huh. at which point it led me to play uh, music from the Phantom of the Opera because, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of my gimmick. <laughs> but, it, again, it comes down to having that back and forth before you start your main session with the player. Uh, so that way you can build up and have – and the player has more buy-in into your world and you have buy-in into their character. Yeah, and exactly. Both creatively build – you're building the world off what they give you for a backstory, and they're building their character based off of what you developed in your world. And then you end up fleshing them out together, I, and it's a very much a creative collaborative process when yeah. you have that quality session zero where everyone's around the table riffing off each other, and next thing you know, you have something cool. So when you're creating a campaign, do you go with um, just like rules as written? Like what are some house rules that you do? I think, Matt, you and I agree on this. Uh, no gnomes? <laughs> no uh, gnomes. Actually, no, I'm, I'm a okay with gnomes. I'm very much, uh, I'm very much a rules as written. Okay. And especially when it comes to first, because rules as written is it's all guidelines anyway. And yeah. most of my players don't know the rules as well for first as well as I do. So if I end up skipping something, I'm just like, and I realize it later, I never bring it up and they never know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like when I run old school stuff, I, I always kind of like, I'm a weird rule stickler, which is normally not how I am with uh, later editions. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's not many rules uh, to really stick to. Exactly. So what are you like, sticking? That's to? what it is. So the few things that the, are there, you do stick with. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. um... So like you, especially in first edition, like, you know, like, if I'm playing, like, classic D&D, if you want to be a wizard with a sword, sure, that's fine. Uh, there are so many more options, I think, that have got expanded into first edition where it's sort of like, you know, I, I like the the race restriction rules. I, I want to stick to those because it it just fits with my purview of what a first edition game should be. Oh, so you like level limits? You'll keep on that, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. you certain level classes limits. can't play certain um, yep. certain races can't play certain classes, things like that. Yeah. So the only you thing don't... I don't have is uh, like no gnomes. So you won't allow a dwarf to be a cleric? Only NPC dwarfs can be clerics. That's one of your rules too. Is that in first edition? I thought yes, dwarfs could be clerics in first edition. Well, technically, no. If you go by the original book. So they don't allow it if you look on. Uh... Let's flip open the book, folks. <laughs> if we all open our player's handbook and turn to page. I... Just edit in the actual page number. <laughs> Insert page number here. Uh, page 14, the original. I think it is. I know it's here somewhere. I've seen it before. Yeah, it's in parentheses, which means they can only go up to level 8, but uh, parentheses indicates that this class exists only as a non-player character in the race in question. Huh. Just like a... They won't allow elven or elves to be clerics as well, or gnomes. So... Unless well, you start how can doing gnomes some multi... Gnomes do. don't exist. <laughs> so funny. But... Yeah, they restrict it right there in the book on page 14. Huh. Crispy. I think that is something I have skipped over for the last 15 years. Most people do. Most people don't care. I mean, I've never actually played in a campaign where a DM was like, nah. Mostly they're just like, yeah, whatever. Don't worry about it. Yeah. There are definitely no dwarven wizards in my first edition games. I've never met any rules written sticklers out there except actually two people in my entire life and that was Jason who used to be on the show and Will those are the only two I knew knew exactly those two people I was like Jason Jason was big on I'm he was big on I'm getting back into 1E and I'm gonna play it like Gary intended us to play it and Will was like that since he picked up the book since day one so but yeah, I, I'm very loose with the rules, and I only have like a few rules and for house rules, and no evil is usually allowed in my campaigns ever. If you happen to go evil, then that's a different story, but then your character most likely would be taken away, because I don't want to deal with evil characters in my group, because that usually just screws up the entire campaign, at least in my opinion. What about you, Chris? Do you allow evil characters at all, or? Um, if it's an evil game, yes. Um... I I ran an evil game once and it was evil. It was yeah. Okay. It was a lot of fun though with uh just how psychotic yeah. the players let their their uh characters be. Um uh, yeah, it it's <sighs> having evil characters is difficult, especially when the group like... is all good. Yeah. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and that's the thing. It's like, you know, what is it going to be someone who is just like a psychotic crazy person? Is it someone who, you know, is they don't care? About, like, how do you define evil in D&D? Is just, it like 
chaotic stupid is it you know you <laughs> i meant just, just the, you, you'll the, use murder as a means to an end anything like, with the evil alignment tag is <laughs> just evil not allowed in my yeah game. but like that's the thing like it, i think a lawful DM, yeah lawful evil you could work into a campaign and yeah. it wouldn't be the utter chaos that like a chaotic evil who decides oh, to play role play the joker though There's, yeah. I have played Lawful Evil in a, in a campaign within the last couple of years. I slipped it in as I was playing a merchant, but it was actually an assassin. And I uh, screwed up the game because I wound up getting a, a total party kill except for myself and then got away. <laughs> so, because <laughs> I masterminded Yeah, but like, it. what about a neutral evil thief who like, you know, maybe yeah. they do a lot of good adventuring, but they have no problem with torturing and killing to get information. Right. They're just a little sadistic. Yeah, I, I would allow that in my group of murder hobos. Like, that's that's fine. I've yeah, kind of changed things up in the last couple of years and not actually using the alignments as written in the book. I'm going with the whole dark, light, and gray, because a lot of players yeah. fall under gray when they yeah. play. And they appreciate that because it gives them a little leeway to just do those things that need to get done and not have to worry about their alignment switching. Mm-hmm. And also allows yeah. them to be good at the same time. I'm a big fan of that might be something that I do house ruling is uh, I like the three point alignment system better yeah. like law chaos. It's like, all right, if you're not actively trying to like destroy civilization, you're lawful. Like anyone who is like a sentient being who doesn't like want to bring the universe into entropy, you're lawful. Like with the light. There doesn't mean they're like, you know, goody two shoes and, you know, lawful good. It just means they're a good person. They try to do what's best for them and people around them. That doesn't mean they're lawful good. They can be lawful good if they want, but it gives them that little tiny bit of leeway to be good, but still not. And then gray is those people like an average. Sorry to say everybody in life is generally gray. They do what's best. They try to do their best. But most people, if they can sneak something in, they're probably going to. Yeah. yeah, I uh, for a few years I just got rid of alignment entirely. I was like, this is dumb. Everyone's gonna be like well, neutral to a point. Within recent years, as a player, I've been really trying to play to an alignment. Like, I played a lot of chaotic neutral characters <laughs> when I was younger, and like chaotic neutral characters who go out and do good. Like they, you know, they adventure and they do heroic quests and did, stuff like that. Did you always say um, I'm not evil? I'm chaotic neutral. Yeah, but recently I've been playing like a lot of lawful good characters where I tried to just actually be like a stand-up guy who like always does the right thing. Um, Played in a game recently where that did not work out, and I don't (laughs) want to complain about that right now. But um, I think you – if you're going to do that, you should talk with your DM and be like, hey, like I want to play – I want to play the hero? So I want to do these things and, and be like the good guy. Right. Most yeah, of- it's when it, yeah, with alignment systems, I mean, I've always, I think probably the best alignment system I've seen is the Palladium one. Oh, just yeah. The Scruple, because, Unscruple, yeah. Yeah, because it, I don't know, just reading those descriptions, you can actually, I think, get a better feel of how the character reacts to various situations. And it gives you that, hey, I do good, but I also don't mind torturing things as well. So I and it just gives you more options. I think it's more real life based than like, again, the D&D alignment systems based off 
heroic arp archetypes, whereas the Palladium is more like everyday real life dude alignments. So, hmm. but when it comes to letting evil in the campaign, I would let it in the campaign, but I would want to understand, have a good understanding of the character. And so that way I can have an idea of how it's going to fit in. Uh, because I've ran games before where one of the players decided to basically play a, a sociopath. And uh, yeah, that didn't quite work out as well as I thought it would. Yikes. But yeah, uh, there was it was a Star Wars game and there was actually gunfights between the players in the very first session. <laughs> I, uh, I, I know that people hate it. And like I understand, but I'm, I I'm ready. I really like the fourth edition alignment system. Oh. I'm just gonna throw that out there. That's if where you they had hate me. Go ahead and that's where they had unaligned, right? right? Yeah. So yeah. you have lawful good. So you're like the but, you're like the most good. You're like a paladin. Then you have good, which I think is just most people like we were talking about. Then unaligned, which I I think is like true neutral in like a druidic sense in AD and D. Hated that. Um, or like animals. And then you have evil, where like you know, maybe you do out, you go out and do good stuff, but you know you don't care about <clears throat> torture and murder. And then you have chaotic evil, which is the Joker. Like I, I like that scale. Like you, lawful good's the most good. Good is most people. Unaligned is eh, all know, munchkins. Like, well, yeah, and then <laughs> evil, which is like yeah, maybe you do some bad stuff. Maybe you're a thug or like a mob boss. Uh, or, you know, like uh, a villain. And then you have chaotic evil, which is like, I'm going to burn the forest down just because I want to. <laughs> I, I like the way fire dances in the moonlight. Apparently, uh, kind of you might have been the only person that liked that because they didn't continue with that. Sorry. Chris. I know, but like, <sighs> eh, that's a whole other discussion. I, 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 I think it's it fits really well kind of with what we're talking about where it's like, yeah, not everyone's lawful good, you know, maybe not everyone's even chaotic good or neutral good. They're just like, they're doing the best they can. I, I think that would fall under good. Hmm. All right. And uh, let's kind of wrap this up by one last kind of thing here about when to say yes versus no and, and how to use the word. Maybe try this. You know, DM should ever say a flat out. No to a uh, player while playing the game. You should never be like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. It should be, well, I don't think you could possibly do that, or I don't think you can do that, but let's try doing it this way, or how about we try this? Are, are you, have you done that before, Matt, at all? Yeah, I'm very much into, like, I had a, last, the last game I was running, I had a half-orc character okay. who wanted his character uh, uh, to actually be even dumber than it was. He actually <sighs> wanted to reduce a stat. Hmm. He wanted his wisdom to be six. Okay, that's acceptable. <laughs> right, so I'm like, okay. And so I'm like, I'll, I'll even let you, at that point, I'm like, if for role-playing purposes, you want to play a really idiotic character, I'm like, okay. Um, I'll tell you what. I actually, in that case, said, I'll let you reassign it to one of these other stats just for this because... Yeah, and he actually did a really good job of role-playing a uh, six-wisdom half-orc. So um, I felt okay with that, especially when it's something that... If a player's throwing something at me that's more a detriment to them but will add to the role-playing, I'm like, oh, absolutely. 
because at that point it's it's all it's doing is adding more flavor to the story. Sometimes mm-hmm. like ah, the, there was one game I was running the he wanted it was a ranger and they wanted to use like a, a certain type of crossbow that normally a ranger wouldn't be able to use. I'm like, okay, why should this give me a backstory? Explain to me why you're using this crossbow, at which point they developed this story of, well, they were I think they were like a gnome ranger or something. It was in two E days. <laughs> Or something like it was something great, some weird combo like that. And it was like, yeah, I got abandoned and I was raised by these elves in the world. I'm like, oh, okay, good enough. It, it, he, My he put some effort. little useless arms weren't strong enough to pull back on the bows. Right. So it was like, here, take this crossbow. All right, let's stop right here. Why do you hate gnomes so much, Chris? <laughs> Look, they're useless. You already have halflings, and you already have dwarves. What are gnomes? They're just halfling dwarves. They're like a weird combination. Mm-hmm. It's like anything that a gnome could do, oh, they're the tinkers. Yeah, like you could also have dwarves be the tinkers. You know, they're small and like they like to play tricks on people. Halflings could have that as well. They're good at magic. Elves already exist. They're just like, well, they're the halflings of fairy kind. And they're bad, and they're dumb, and they don't fit in. No, like, no, look at the no. It's all about the amount of body hair of the short people. No, uh, <laughs> dwarves are the furriest. All right, halflings are that middle ground. They got the furry feet. Gnomes are the the hairless short people. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> that's yeah, the I think that's gonna end this segment now. <laughs> but yeah, now we understand why Crispy does not like gnomes so no gnomes right any feedback should go to rfi staff at gmail.com and direct it subject i hate crispy that's that's fair you know and we he will answer it on the show live in front of a studio audience because we have that (laughs) but let's head into some uh treasure chest you have opened the treasure chest. You may choose an item. Okay, treasure chest today. I'm going to pull an item from my actual DM book. I'm going to try to do this a little more often because, you know, we all know the magic items that are listed inside the books and in the modules. And you can go look those up any day. But, you know, let's look at some more custom items. Maybe, you know, I'll find an item uh, on the internet or from a blog or something or just from my personal book and this one i pulled out from my personal book called the gauntlet of dark forces i valued it at ten thousand gold pieces and the xp value is at five so this is a regular gauntlet upon placing the item on the wearer must concentrate and for those that like to have that whole segment thing in case they play with segments because a lot of people are stickler for segments you have to concentrate for two segments for the action and it releases a dark blast that'll hit one target. There's no two-hit roll needed for this. It's kind of like a magic missile. It just automatically hits the target, unless they have some magic resistance, of course. And only damage dice are rolled. So for the damage dice, you would roll 3d6. Yeah, this really isn't a first-level magic item, so don't think you're giving this to a first-level character. You roll 3d6, and on all ones, which is possible, I don't know what the percent chance of that is, but uh, the character will take damage himself. This item will strike back at the person. and The item is still usable, of course. And all sixes, which is triple six, the damage will double. 
and the character is compelled to use this item the very next round again, no matter the situation, and will not pull a punch. So if you're just doing it to intimidate someone or trying to get a little damage on them and you get those triple sixes and you damage him, and you have to use it right again. And if you do another three sixes, you got to use it again. Even if you're killing or overkilling the person, you're going to overkill them with this. And of course, with every magical item, they have uh, charges on them. And once the charges run out, the item becomes useless unless recharged again. And that could be an entire campaign to get out there and um, recharge it. Who knows how you can do it? Maybe it's some type of demonic force you have to get in contact with or go to the mountain of doom or something or i don't know any comments guys i love mega man <laughs> yes i wasn't even thinking i like this that. actually um it's yeah. very um it's very like 80s fantasy like uh like kind of like crawl or like yeah call the conqueror yeah yeah instilled with the dark magic at which point it could even be someone is trying to forge this and Im- imbibe it with the dark power so they can like try to take over the land or something. Mm-hmm. This is like their idea of their uh, maniacal super weapon. Bow before my might of my dark gauntlets. To be honest, I think when I wrote this, because this is from an old page in one of my books that I found, I was probably reading the Infinity Gauntlet series at that time. <laughs> Ah, uh, yep. So I, I I was looking at it, and I'm like, you know what? This is from a long time ago from my book. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I bet I was reading the Infinity Gauntlet Gems or something like that. Yeah, yeah, the Infinity Gems, yeah. Or you had just watched uh, Laser Blast. <laughs> no, Laser Blast, no. <laughs> that is, yeah. The wiz- no. He watched The Wizard and mistook it for the Power Glove? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Oh, it's maybe. so bad. Yes. I'd like but, to see one do like like a Death Note item for the game. That'd be kind of cool. Like that notebook. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Uh, yeah, actually. Considering I was just watching that movie on Netflix and it was really cool. So yeah, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's the Gauntlet of Dark Forces. And I'll try to do this like every time for treasure chest, find an item or pull an item. I got plenty of items in my book because I've sat down <clears throat> at work and uh, done things like this because. I'm bored at work sometimes on conference calls and I'll just <laughs> be like, oh, this is a good idea. Or I'll draw a little map or something or I'll bother Crispy and make him do things and something like that. Yeah. Or Matt, make him do things too. Yeah. I'm just much slower at them. No, you're, you're fine. I just will text people or do things like most of my work days are conference calls with Mexico or Barcelona or things like that. So uh-huh. <laughs> I have a lot of downtime while I'm on these conference calls until it's my turn to do something. So I'm like, hmm, what gaming thing can I do while I'm getting paid? So <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that's yeah, what I do. Pay me to pay me uh, to make D and D stuff. <laughs> I do. I just I have my little book with me. I'm sitting there. I'll just like jot down an idea or someone. Will, it's really funny because I'll be on the conference call and they'll be like, the, the guy from Barcelona will be like, yes, the fountain over here is where we're going. And I'm like, ooh, fountain. That's a good idea. Fountain of dark hmm. powers. And I'll start writing something down. <laughs> Maybe that's how you recharge these gauntlets. You have to dip them in the dark waters. <laughs> oh, God. Is the pirates of dark waters? Dark all? waters. Or, or you could go dark crystal. <sighs> I think that's going to end this segment. <laughs> how many segments in a row can I derail? <laughs> Matt is on a roll, folks. <laughs> on a roll. Let's head into uh, Creature Feature. 
Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long Creature Feature Theater Alright, and in this creature feature it's going to have a lot of mouths in it. It'll have not just me, Crispy, and Vince, but also the many, many mouths of this monster. Because, yeah, it's we're dipping into the monster manual, too, for this one. And it's the gibbering mouther. Um, I was just flipping through the other night, and I'm like, what is this weird thing with nothing but eyes and mouths? I want to know more. And it is a... When you read the read this in the Monster Manual too, it doesn't really talk about how this aberration game do exist. It's more of, yeah, it's a amoebic life form with just eyes and mouth, and it just sits there with its eyes and mouth shut. So it's just like a blob, mass blob. And when something edible comes by it, it eats it <sighs> with all of its mouths, and it eats everything: mineral, Gross. vegetable. People doesn't Ooh. matter. It just it's and it's always hungry. Uh, so the areas around it will be like stripped bare of pr- in pretty much anything and pretty clean because well it ate everything. Um, typically it's in old, cold and uh, underground areas, so you'll find these in like your caves and whatnot. Uh, and it pr- moves by oozing forward because again it's just this massive mouths and the mouse will actually latch onto the floor and like force itself forward by using its mouth as like little suction cups too. This um, is it's basically David Cronenberg the D&D monster. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody watched the Cronenberg era like 80s uh, Lovecraft movies and it's like this is it. This is the thing I want to write. Yes, it very much has that, like, just creepy, bizarre, like, living wall-esque uh, <laughs> creepiness uh, going on. It's, so, uh, I think the best way to, like, you could make this monster at home. Um, go buy, like, a hundred Silly Putties from the dollar store. Spend a hundred dollars on Silly Putty. Get a big mass of Silly Putty. Then go buy those, uh, those like, joke teeth, the wind-up chattering teeth. <laughs> Yeah, and, and a bunch of yeah and and like some googly eyes and just like <laughs> yes. throw it all together boom gibbering mouth <laughs> that's what's attacking you that is it's flesh color it's like a pile of flesh that has just it's just mouths and teeth that's and eyeballs that's that's all it is yeah <laughs> it it actually does have a brain in the middle of it so if you want to try to attack the brain, you can, but it's got an ACO1. Oh. But otherwise, all of its appendages are mouths and eyes. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then and then it gets into how it devours you. Apparently it spits a flashbang. Uh when it's spittle hits a bright hits a hard cold surface, it makes a bright flare, and then it, it, the resulting flash will blind anyone. Uh, if they fail their save versus petrification for a round. And once they blind you, that's when all the mouths latch on you and start trying to eat you. And they will hit you with like, the first time will be like six mouths in a round. So you got six mouths of this giant mob, a blob of flesh on you. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate how much of a nightmare creature this is. Uh, It's not like it comes up to you and like, no, they extend from it. It like... Alien out, like, he's like a spaghetti noodle with a mouth attached to it. Yes. So you've got this eye and mouth coming at you. They latch onto you. And so you have all those. And then it tries to drag you down. And you have to make a four or less on a 2D6. Otherwise, you fall down, at which point more mouths latch on. And then it's just going to try to devour you. I imagine it makes this noise. It, and it actually, it actually does like make Skeletor. noise that causes confusion because it's constantly <laughs> gibbering. I actually have a great gibbering mouthing store, a, a great gibbering mouther story based on that where uh, I threw one of them in a third edition game. I threw one at someone and uh, there's a table for the confusion effects. And yeah. one of them is uh, you hit yourself with whatever weapon you're holding. And uh, I had a player do that, and they failed that save about six times while they were holding a torch and just knocked themselves out of the fight. Oh, Like, I kept rolling the, like, oh, you're confused and you hit yourself roll. It was top, top D&D moment in my head. Yes, that's like that's just high comedy there, especially depending if it's a high level party. Yeah, like I'm like I'm like rolling behind his screen, and it's like, all right, uh, you failed your save, uh, roll, and it's like, oh, a a, a ten, uh, you hit yourself, and then I we just did that six more times. It's like I don't know how, <laughs> but you can't stop. Stop hitting yeah. yourself. <laughs> stop hitting yourself. That's stop basically it. Him. Yeah. Uh, in this chart, though, it doesn't have the hit yourself. It just has the hit nearest creature, living creature. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could just stand there stunned. And then, or you could just run away in terror. I mean, I could even see just upon the sight of this having to make like a fear check. Yeah, it's a nightmare creature. Yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw this like six foot blob of just eyes and mouths chomping coming towards you. It would make even the most hardened adventurer at least take a step back. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is some weird stuff. Uh, I'm in hell? I think I'm in hell. Yes, I don't know where my life took this wrong turn, but I don't <laughs> like it. Uh, then they also, and then just that alone isn't enough because it's, they have the ability to change the ground around them as well. Because they war- apparently they one warm the ground within a five feet radius of it, and then they can change the consistency of the ground. So they can change it to like from like concrete to like quicksand 
to so you all of a sudden you're now sinking into the ground as this thing is approaching you because oh, it actually that is that awful. That is such an awful thing to do to someone. Yeah, because it can control. Yeah, it, the exact line is it can control the consistency of this material by changing it to doughy, tarish, quicksand, or concrete. So it could even quicksand you, then concrete you once and you're then trapped. Just, roll up on you and just like start nibbling at your head yeah just like place itself on like because it's an amorphous blob it just like engulfs you and just engulfs you and then eats you that's awful yes yes this is just like the thing of nightmares yeah and the first edition they don't talk about its origin but there's a little blurb out of 2e because you have to go to the like Al-Kadim to actually even find it in second edition (laughs) really Al-Kadim that's all right yeah but you know that classic Arabic monster the gibbering mouth (laughs) (laughs) you're right but it very much fits because it's uh they're unnatural creatures duh created by foul sorcery it kept his guards by mages and cults. Okay, I could see that. I could definitely see this being like a monster. Uh, oop, did some dark magic. Maybe you zapped the wrong thing with Vince's uh, dark gauntlets. And next yeah. you, know, you have a gibbering mouth. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just I, something just to... I uh, had that same thing happen, actually. Uh, I, I was playing on a 5th edition game a couple months ago, oh. and somebody had a, a wand that had broken. Yeah. And... When they tried to use it, it zapped them and turned them into a gibbering mouther. That is, that's real life, actually. Oh, it happened in real life? Yeah, it did. Man, it was crazy. Oh, like, wow. magic is real? I was blown away by that. But also, it became a six-foot flesh pile, and that was pretty unsettling. How does he roll the dice still? Does he, like, spit them out of one of his many mouths, or? Well, we had to kill him. Like, Oh, okay. You just said, couldn't. Couldn't handle the gibbering anymore. I, I mean, it. All right, I think it Crispy... gibbered and drove us insane, and that's why we killed it. Like we, you know. Oh, you failed your confusion, and you attacked the nearest kept, living thing. Yeah, n- le- nearest living thing. You know, just kept kept rolling that result. Yeah, I think we killed that segment too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't and... know what you're talking about. I think this has been a good show. Oh, it's a great show. Yeah, definitely. It's a fantastic show. So why don't we head into some emails now and end the show. Sage Advice. All right. So for Sage Advice, we kind of pulled into the email bag and looked around. Uh, we had a couple questions. Actually, we had one question that was uh, keeps coming up, so I just want to kind of mention it again. And I'll try to put it on the webpage under the FAQ, but... DM Keel wrote in and wanted to know what happened to the actual play podcast for one E that we did and if we can direct him to any more out there. I don't know of any myself, to be honest. I, there might be one or two on YouTube, but I don't really listen to things on YouTube like that in great detail. As far as actual play podcasts, I think Hobbs and Friends may have done one. You may want to look them up because they did a lot of OSR stuff. Mine is out there. We'll put a link in there for the Evil DM Actual Plays podcast. Uh, and it has all my Book of Sorrows in there, and it has uh, my uh, Fin Fang Foom when I did Oriental Adventures as well, and I'll probably have some more stuff when things come about. So, and then we also got a nice long email from DM Domino, who uh, 
gave us a nice review about the podcast and how he got involved and how we ha- are we are good hosts and he misses you know some of the various past hosts like Jason, Will, and Chad and. Actually, I don't see mention of Crispy in the email. Sorry, Christopher. No, it does, actually. Uh, I've taken eight pages of notes of things to follow up on and incorporate my game from listening. Crispy never made me nauseous. Oh, okay. Well, okay, so yeah, you just never made him nauseous, that's all. Right. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. I appreciate that, and uh, just keep writing us in, rfistaff at gmail.com, 570-865-4210 is the hotline, and uh, facebook.com slash rfipodcast, podcast on Twitter, and that's how you can contact us, and we're available to uh, answer all your questions. And hopefully you're enjoying our new theme song by Glory Hammer as well. Yes. Absolutely awesome. So glad you uh, stumbled across them, Vince. I I know. I was just kind of looking for some music, and I stumbled across them, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And so I I was like, you know what? Let me take a shot and ping them and see what happens. And I was like, hey, do you mind if we use some of your music? And he's like, oh, yeah, dude, we've heard your show. I was like, really? (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, so and they, and they apparently they most if you listen and look at most of their music it's based off of an old campaign that they played back in the day. I think it might have been first edition. I didn't get that far to ask them that. But I know currently they're playing Warhammer 40K, so hmm. okay. The role playing game, not the actual minis. Right. Yeah. Yeah, cuz they just did some weird stuff with that. Yeah. But the music is excellent. It's like totally yeah. 80s, you know, like I, I want to call it '80s power ballad opera rock or something. I don't know how to really. Right. It, yeah, because it's it's got that hard metal, but it's also got that. Uh, it's you would hear it at a Ren Fair thing going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like if you wanted a rock band at a Ren Fair, book these guys. I mean, because yeah, it just fit, just listen, and you'll you'll hear it. Cool. It's great stuff. Give them a listen to and give them some praise by their albums. They're really cool. Uh, so I guess that's going to say uh, that's going to end the show. We're going to keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Furniture Podcast is part of the Wild Games Productions Network and produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. If you'd like to contact us, go to rfipodcast.com, click on contact us, or email us at rfistaff at gmail.com. Voice mail line 570 865 4210. Facebook.com slash rfipodcast for more. Bye.